0: Uh okay well you guys ready to get started yeah yeah cool uh well so i'm gonna pull up and uh just get some questions ready here and we can just uh address them i thought i could be you know Just kind of the guy that reads the questions. And since both of you are way smarter than I am, you could be the people that say the that have responses to the questions. Is that is that a good format for you guys? That works for me. Okay. All right. Hey
1: Marie, there's one for certain that I know has got to be up your rally and not mine. Somebody brought up Donald Trump and oh who was John Adams? Yeah.
2: I know. I know John Adams is rolling in his grave right now. <laughs> he did not. Yeah, watch.
1: but it was like, uh, yeah, no, not part of my wheelhouse. Let's put it that way. What the Alien and Sedition
0: Acts? Do you think is that what he's referring to?
2: I could, the only thing I could think that he may be referring to is the one term president thing.
1: Yeah
0: yeah well you know like uh adams did a lot of stuff uh in that between him getting elected and then that next election with jefferson and they called that next election the revolution of
1: 1800 because
2: they he stepped down peacefully it was the first transfer of power
1: yeah
2: Yeah. no adams was very qualified for the position well we can we can answer it when we get there but i didn't
0: cool cool well we'll just i'll just move in, in in order and we'll uh we'll get rolling so all right. So I'll introduce you guys. Marie, you're back on the show. Thank you for always being willing to come on. It's, it's always, uh, awesome talking to you. I always, uh, learn a lot. I feel like and get book suggestions and you s- email me your syllabus and all sorts of stuff. So thank you for, uh, always being willing to come on. How's Nick also you've been on several times We're actually you've been on enough times. We're just going to start doing, uh, politics unraveled every few months so um if you ever want to collaborate with any of that marie i really appreciate you re- just having the idea to do this so
2: oh yeah
0: all right uh well let's start with uh i i posted on social media for the podcast page uh some questions uh polling people i got a lot of responses this morning but let's start with nathan george yesterday um he's a local uh local guy here in russellville i, th- I think he actually does he live in Russellville or dardanelle now i think he might He's from he's from over in Yale County, but uh, he's he served on the Russellville City Council. Um, you know he's he's integral in helping a lot of small businesses. He owns a small mm-hmm. business, so um, I always uh, and he's been on the podcast. I always like talking with Nathan. Uh, he said this: Has there ever been a national election overturned after a recount?
2: Not, a, As, not in the modern
1: definitely not in the modern era, and I think yeah um that's a big part of it when we talk about the modern presidency and political science anyway we're talking f af- everybody after uh fdr mm-hmm. roosevelt's the cut if you start comparing some of the early american presidents to the current it's apples it's not even apples and oranges it's like apples and steak um but no
0: okay okay
1: okay Elect- uh- yeah.
0: Well, and we'll get to this later because uh, I believe that this is in the questions. But something I wanted to, to hit on today is this how everybody keeps bringing. Uh, and, and again, we'll get to it because there's at least one question about. It, but the 2000 election—that's something that keeps coming up.
1: Okay. Do you want me to expand on the simple no answer? Yeah. Go ahead. Um, please. Uh, all right. So what 2000 was weird, and it's you can't compare it to today. If Donald Trump wants to win the presidency, he has to win multiple states simultaneously. He lost the Electoral College pretty badly. I think it's, you know. 306
2: to 232.
1: Yes. He needs at least three states to go his way of all these lawsuits. Um, in in the 2000 election, it was literally one state was the dividing line. It was Florida. Yeah,
2: less um, than so, like 500 votes, right?
1: Um the, 1,500 or 5,000 in a state with like, I think it was seven or 8 million votes cast. I mean, it was really, really, you know, one-tenth of one percent. But what happened in Florida, why it was so controversial, so they had, we're not even going to talk about exit polling and election night. So they counted up all the votes the first time, and I think Bush won by like 5,000. Then they had their automatic recount triggered, which, oh, my, my camera, no touch on the desk. Um, then funny. they had their automatic triggered recount. Then Bush only won by like 1,500. So something is up. Then they went into a process going for a third count. And that is when the lawsuits started. Um, basically, Florida was using punch card ballots. And every time you run a punch card through a machine, it's going to wriggle some of those punch cards. Um, This is where you get into, if you want to really feel old, they brought up hanging chads, swinging chads, dimpled chads. Um, But they were creating new election law after the election was over. That was the elemental problem of 2000. That's when lawsuits started, and that is where the Supreme Court stepped in and said, you can't really do this third count by hand with these new rules that you just created. Um, And that's where um, Bush 43 um, W was declared the victor, and Al Gore um, conceded the election. Right now, we are still in all these states who are um where these possible lawsuits are still existing they're still doing their constitutional duty they don't have i looked it up they don't have to tell you who won for a couple more weeks yet basically the state's got to figure it out by about the end of november counts recounts that sort of stuff um and part of these lawsuits is they got to show that it would change the outcome That is one of the big things um, that they're running into. Let me find um, something like, oh, here's a good example. Um, Michigan, a lot of their lawsuits have been thrown out. They're done. Why? Because Biden won Michigan by 150,000 votes. A lawyer has to show that this malfeasance, would change the outcome. Now, Florida, 2000, 1,500 votes, 5,000 votes. It's pretty easy to get your foot in the door as a lawyer. But with in Michigan, with 150,000 votes, um, you're talking a massive conspiracy with like 10% of the state on your side. Um, that's why they dismissed the cases. There's no way to sue and change that outcome. Right. So. And
2: I, I looked this morning, so you can look at democracy docket.com and follow along with these cases in real time. And I checked this morning. So far, there have been 32 post election cases in six states. There are 12 active cases and 20 cases have either been won by the Democratic Party or dismissed outright. And so that's what the the state of the lawsuits look like at this point. Um, and, and exactly right you have to prove that you can overturn the results of an election and we're talking about margins at least in the tens of thousands and then in michigan and over a hundred thousand and so we've never seen even uh, local races overturned with margins like that
0: um, uh yeah and i think we have a couple other questions that will um eventually tie into that. Did you have any sort of organization on, I know that you looked at a lot of these questions previously, Uh, I tagged both you guys in the post where most of them came in. Is there anything we wanna elaborate on before we move on from here?
1: No, I would would say if we could, let's talk about the election itself and then talk about maybe Hmm. some of the ancillary stuff. Like somebody asked about polling, places to find political information those that's like the antsy you know the extra stuff Mm -hmm. yeah that that to me should be at the end you know wrap that up um near the end but no there was you know a lot of good questions a lot of smart questions um some blasts from the past i have to say
0: yeah totally um, one other thing Nathan was uh, inquiring about is, and I think he was joking, um, or I mean, maybe he wasn't, is he said, what's the over under on Pelosi being the next president?
1: Yeah. <laughs> zero, I think.
2: Yeah, I That's mean, why I
1: was like, I guess a he... lot
2: of things would have to happen before that, that happened. I mean, she's still speaker of the house. She's yeah. in line for the presidency, but there, a lot of things would have to go wrong before that happened.
1: Yeah. Yes.
2: So not quite zero, but pretty close.
1: She'd have to poison the president and vice president and get away with it.
2: Maybe not her. I mean, she wouldn't no. have to do that. But I something mean, would have to happen,
0: yeah. Yeah. We're you talking house. Starting a pandemic, I mean, yeah. weird weirdest, weird stuff has happened all year. Um, and, like, I mean, just I, I saw this morning, I, don't, I didn't look into it, but I saw some sort of article saying that 130 secret service people have COVID or had no. had, had, it, maybe, that, maybe that was a stat that they had had COVID. It was something well, I I think
2: on. currently are in quarantine wow. is what that article said.
0: Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow, amazing. Uh, okay, so this one's from Evelyn. Uh, so with everything that's happened in the last four years, they president with no political background. Uh, my question is, will they start putting or adding stricter requirements on who can be the president? my other question is in uh the constitution it states that there should be separation of church and state so uh we'll do the church and state one in a minute because a bunch of people commented underneath that one so uh yeah presidential requirements what do you guys think about that
2: well historically that's a slippery slope um, <laughs> I mean, we've had literacy tests at certain points in our, you know, to in order to register to vote, and that is used to discriminate against people of color.
0: Yeah, Um, great
2: point. So I think that having that kind of, um, where do you draw the line? You know, when does it, can it go too far? Absolutely. Is it a problem when people are elected to office who don't have political experience? It absolutely can be. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that instituting some kind of test or some kind of rule is, it hasn't worked out before in American history.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. And part of the problem is like with requirements, you don't want political amateur night, but you also want to avoid um pol- career politicians you know uh, your, the last topic was nancy pelosi you know and both parties have them but when you've been in the system for so long everybody does kind of start thinking the same way it is good <laughs> um the dog behind me is seeing something um but uh the the issue is you get kind of this group mindset that group think you know, bringing in outsiders with new ideas can be really good, but if you wind up, um, it's trying to find a balance. You don't want complete and total political amateurs, but you don't want people so entrenched, they've been doing the same thing for like 70 years. Um, and like uh, Marie said, it is a slippery slope when you start having litmus test requirements. Um, and that would be true of either political party
0: Right. What are, what are the, um, the current requirements if, if you know them and I can, I can pull them up if not, but I know that there are, you know, age and what port, what part of geography you were born on and stuff like that requirements, but, uh, you want to overview those? Yeah.
2: So 35 years old and natural born citizen.
0: Huh. Yeah.
1: That's, that it? It? That's, rush That's hour. it.
0: Okay. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, that is. Um, I'm, I'm totally with you. Like, I was thinking Slippery Slope before you said it. I was like, oh, uh, because yeah. uh, th- that's it. That's the same exact reason. History has, has shown us in the past that, uh, you know, in relation to voting uh, and requirements for that, that's a, a good comparison. Um, okay, uh, so church and state. Uh, how are there certain uh, politicians uh, that are able to block laws or fight them because of their religious belief? Um, isn't that blurring the line between church and state? Somebody went on to add uh, just here in our local community, like uh, when we had the cannabis dispensary debate, it was, vo- it was a, it was a, debate on zoning. And then at the meeting, uh, sort of religious views came up is the reason why the zoning permit was being denied. So um she and I asked for some specific examples of what uh, she was referring to. She says abortions, uh, LBGTQ community, ro- uh, overturning Roe v. Wade, etc. Um, well, with
2: those cases, when those are tried before the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court doesn't look at religion as a reason to overturn those cases. They look at um, how the law is being applied, how the they're arguing: Is this necessary? Um, how is marriage defined at, at certain levels? For example, in the, the marriage equality case, but um, religion isn't the only thing that's used now. People may make those arguments in in the public, but that's not what's being used to actually, or would be used to actually overturn these things um, at the at the level that they would be overturned. So people can make that argument, but. Um, that's not what's happening at the, at the level it needs to happen.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those cases really, uh, Marie hit it on the head. They don't, yes, people bring in religious lines of discussion, but they, the law, um, is often on against them. Like, um, the case is Oberfeld v. Hodges. That is the gay marriage case in the United States everybody's like religion, religion, religion. If you read the decision, it wasn't about religion. It was about economics. Uh, basically it said the US law differentiating marriage economically disadvantaged same-sex couples. You know, you have to pay more in taxes. You don't get all these financial benefits. Um, the religion angle doesn't play out. Um, and, but I think the trouble is people will bring it into politics until the law, until they are sued over it. You know, like the example you brought up is another good one. You know, once they found, you know, we're going to fight this all the way to the Arkansas State Supreme Court. And then you find out, well, the law's not on your side. It's going to cost you $100,000. And because all of you spouted your religious views and not uh, position views, there's no way, I think it was the Russellville City Attorney said, there's no way I can win this case. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, right. but, it, but it was still about, yes, they allowed religion to color it, but it became, it was an economic argument. Um, right. you know, and religion
2: and- obviously is used by politicians and by voters to, to, to gain voters, and that's been true um, throughout the history of this country. Well,
0: I, I think that that is probably a lot of what spurned that question, if you think about the last year and photo opportunities, um, that took place during the oh. protest in DC and just how much of that, uh, demographic was supporting, um, the president.
2: Right. And um, the moral majority and evangelical Christians have been an important part of cons- conservative voters since at least 1979 when the moral majority was formed. Um, and they just got more powerful during the 1980s. So, um, they remain an important voting block for conservative uh, Republican politicians they remain uh, they they take on an advisory role to conservative presidents but when it comes to the law that's still um, separated
0: yeah one thing i was thinking as well is i mean i don't really i look at religions and i say okay this religion has morals and ethics and you know, let's let's see what they are, it, it, how present they are, what, how they're dealing with certain things, but I, you know, in philosophy, you don't really look at, you know, I don't really equate. I, I've had two ethics courses in 27 hours, of philosophy, to undergraduate. I did. That's when I kind of stopped equating morals and ethics with religion. You know, right. so.
2: that's completely separate.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Non-religious people are are and can be moral. <laughs>
0: definitely Mm -hmm. you know and i think too um and there was a a netflix thing that came out about this i didn't finish watching it but uh you know you see things like the uh white house i think it's the the prayer breakfast that they have every year and some things like that for that demographic it, it really makes it seem like there might not be as much of a separation and uh that like I like said I didn't finish what that I think that Netflix show is called The Family or something like that, but it, it went into some of the history of that and like the group that's behind leading it, and uh, it, it was it was thought provoking and concerning to me uh, a bit, but anyway. Uh, okay, uh, we're to the John Adams Donald Trump. Uh, <laughs> what are our similarities there for for Matt Frazier?
2: Well, I I would like to know where that. Question came from. I would like to know what uh, made him ask that question, but John Adams was um, a very intelligent, very educated uh, founder of this country. Helped write the Constitution. He was only a one-term president, so I uh, maybe that's the the similarity. But as far as that, no, John Adams was certainly not a populist of any kind, um, which many people think
0: Trump is so yeah yeah and you were uh you kind of hit on this uh and and I mentioned as well earlier before we started uh recording is that um there you know it's one term presidency and there that eight election of 1800 is often termed uh at least it's actually more it Thomas Jefferson is who named it yeah he called it the revolution he said it was the second American revolution yeah yeah,
2: that is a big deal. That is a big deal. So that's the first time in American history that we have a peaceful transfer of power. So before 1800, there were never really contested elections. And so Adams and Jefferson have gone through this terrible election in the election of 1800. They, this is, you know, they both say if the is elected, this will be the end of the war, the world in a way, and the, the new experiment will die. Well, they come out of the election. Jefferson wins. And what we see is that Adams hands over power peacefully. There's a peaceful transfer of power. So this is a real test of our constitution and we passed that test. And so I do think it's, I mean, it is a revolution of sorts. Mm. Um, so I do think that's an important election, but, but that was a peaceful transfer of power. John Adams mm-hmm. you know, conceded. So I don't know that uh, that election is important but I don't think there's similarities
1: there.
0: Yeah. Let let me tie that. Uh, go ahead, Hasnick. Go ahead. I, gonna,
1: um, I teach a lot of world politics, and that is one of the things you look for in a foreign country or any country uh, to call them truly democratic. When does somebody actually lose the uh, lose a free and fair election and peacefully hand over power? Um, there's a lot of countries which kind of, sort of, um, if you squint one eye really hard, look democratic. But until they are able to hand off power uh, peacefully, um, you really can't call them deb- truly democratic, not in the same way as you do in, say, you know Western European, um, American democracy uh, models, for sure.
0: Yeah, well, while we're back in that era, even though um, we kind of also mentioned earlier, it, it's... We're really looking for comparisons sort of post-World War II, post-FDR to present uh, for, for it to be more relevant to the conversation. But
1: we did have another question from- Well, I got one that might blow your mind. Go ahead. Should we compare Donald Trump to Jimmy Carter? What, yeah, <laughs> go, go, go on. What are you thinking? Well, I think Donald Trump and Jimmy Carter, they're both one-term presidents. They're both in the modern era. The one I think of is Jimmy Carter and Donald Trump both hit problems that other presidents didn't have to deal with in the same way, especially the economy. Jimmy Carter had problems. They called it stagflation. Normally, unemployment and inflation move independently, or um, let me get it right again. They move in certain ways Um, because of oil shocks and stuff like that. Jimmy Carter faced them both moving against him. Basically, unemployment goes up, inflation generally doesn't, um, and as in a lot of American politics, if you want to get reelected, it's the economy. Stupid is sort of the refrain you get. Um, and you know, I mean, COVID nineteen was definitely an economic problem for you know Trump's re-election campaign. You know, the economy. You had you know people out of work. Um, you know, for the entire year if we're, you know, January, 2020, if you're just looking at his economic record, Trump's in a pretty good place, you know? So I think there's a good paper for somebody. I want you to compare the presidency of uh, Jimmy Carter versus Donald J. Trump really makes him, everybody's head spins.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: You want to add anything to that, Marie?
2: I, I agree All that that would be an interesting- That's uh, a cool topic. It, you, just, you don't think about that because the men themselves are so different. Um, but yeah, if you look at the economic problems, they both dealt with, Mm -hmm. I think Carter would have been too honest with the public where we had the opposite problem in this election cycle, where we were kept, there was information kept from us and maybe Carter gave too much and Trump didn't give enough, but that's, yeah, that's an interesting question.
0: Okay. So, uh, this one, and they, they threw a couple of questions out here, uh, all at once, but it's really, um, This last question sort of ties into the the previous one we did. Uh, Why do we have a two-party system? How do John McCain and Donald Trump end up in the same primary or Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in the same party? Didn't George Washington warn us about the power of political parties?
2: Yeah, and I saw you answered part of this question on uh, Facebook talking about Washington absolutely did warn Mm. of political parties and factionalism, because he saw that develop in his own cabinet, and he saw some of that play out in the press at the time as well. But we don't really have the modern party system that we have um, today with with party machinery until the 1830s, when Martin Van Buren builds the Democratic Party, um, which is the same Democratic Party that we have today, although completely different platform than the platform we have today, than the platform the Democratic Party has Mm -hmm. today. So it's at that point where you have this idea that you need two legitimate political parties um, to oppose one another in elections, and that develops the second party or the, the two-party system that we know today in the 1830s. So the, the country is not born with that, certainly, with, with the idea of political parties, although there is factionalism mm-hmm. um, around the founding. And then... So that's
0: how we get the the two party system. What was the, the other part of that question? Um, let's see. Um, they were, I guess, like, um, how did John McCain and Donald Trump end up in the same okay. primary? Were Biden and Harris in the same party?
1: Um, part of it is, it, it's a lack of options. I think one, the reality is with a two party system, if you look, um, the American political experience. Now, other countries will be different, but the being in a third party in the U.S., you're just kind of like a painful afterthought too many times. Um, if you go back, it was um, oh 1992. Um, H. Ross Perot runs. There we go. Mm-hmm. I got the name. He does. He he's the he got the most votes of any. Third party in the modern era. I think he got to the teens. I, you know, yeah. I need my powerpoints in front of me. But he won exactly zero electoral college votes. Ralph Nader running in two thousand. He gets. I think he had ten thousand votes in Florida. If he's not on the ballot, we might have had President Al Gore hmm. um, in twenty sixteen. We did the math. The there was about four and a half percent third parties in 2016. The green party alone, which is, you know, a very liberal wing. This is where I could tell, you know, totally see your um, uh, Alexandria Oscar cortez and your Bernie Sanders wing of the Democrats would be greens in the American. They voted enough for their green candidate, not for Hillary Clinton. They were literally the margin of difference for Donald Trump winning those states he did and winning the presidency. Uh-huh. So what does this tell Americans? Well, if I, you know, the, uh, Perot, if I vote third party, I'm not going to win. Cause I still have to overcome the electoral college. And if I vote third party in the wrong place at the wrong time, um, you know, you wind up with different results. So, um, uh, both parties agree on one thing, keep it a two party system. Let's keep, you know, keep the, uh, The third party's down, oppressed, limited, Um, but it's, again, a lot of Americans see that same, you know, um, what's the use of splintering off, creating your own party, something like that. Um, There's enough modern election examples, you're going to lose, and you may actually help your opponent win. Yeah.
2: Now, throughout American history, third parties have had, especially... Before 1900, third parties have had opportunities, especially at the state and local level, um, even the congressional level, to win uh, seats and to change policy and to change the parties. So the Free Soil Party in the 1850s, they were gaining um, seats. The Know Nothings in New England in the 1800s had seats at the local and state and even the congressional level where they can change um, policy. The, The... And and so in the 1850s, when the Republican Party is born, the, the Republican Party takes in different groups of people under this banner party. And so you have a lot of different ideas within a single party. And after the Civil War, as these two parties are solidified as the two main parties, then you begin to see this idea where third parties are not going to work. The populists try it in the 1890s um, and and they can never make inroads. So they start to fuse their candidates with one of the two major parties. And so you do have this, these large um just these varied ideologies under the same party tense because of the system that, um, where it's really one of two choices. And so that's why primary elections matter, because if you want to push the, um, if you want to put your ideology within the party front and center, then you need to vote for that person in the primary election.
0: And Hey, Marie, I'm, I'm spacing out on this. Who, what was the, um, so, Democratic Party Party was split in 1860s. Republicans. What was the third party? It's made up of a bunch of old know nothings and it was like an amalgamated party, like what you're saying. That Whigs. The Whigs was that was that the Whigs, Whigs in that yeah. election? Okay. Yeah. Yeah,
2: they died. They they the Whig Party kind of is enveloped by the um, Republican Party in the 1860 election because okay. by then they're.
1: Uh, okay. I'm sorry, I, I need my PowerPoints in front of me. I can remember that 1850s, there were five parties that basically w- rolled into the, civ- the US Civil War. Um, yeah. The Grand Old Party was one of them. That was the rebranded Corrupt Bargain Party, if I can remember correctly, but I can't remember names. But I know there yeah, was the one-
2: Yeah, Union Party, um, the Whigs, the Know Nothings, the Democratic Party, the Republican Party.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I just heard, I just heard the black, uh, lecturing on this the other day. So i I've been l- listening to a bunch of his old lectures and things. Cause we just did civil war in Arkansas history. So, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, all right. Now this, uh, this next one, and if any of this is some, uh, stuff that you want to save to the end. So we're getting to some of those questions we, uh, talked about before we, we began. Um, Abby, she had a lot of really great, um, questions. Uh, and, and these are things that too, like I, I've chased down some of these by state and um, I will say this, I have done podcasts where I was like, still trying to figure things out before this, that, uh, that I will probably publish after this. So, um, but it has been like, I've been hours trying to chase down some of these things myself. So I'm interested to hear your take. Uh, what are the lawsuits filed by the Trump administration? Many of them have been tossed out. I think uh, 12 or something today I saw. Uh, and can that change the overall outcome of the election?
2: So again, you can follow along with these lawsuits live at democracydocket.com. Okay. Um, so, if, you know, this can change, this will change after this podcast is over. So democracydocket.com and you can follow along with all of this. So um, there are 32, there were 32 cases in six states 12 there are only 12 active cases at this point
0: okay okay that's what it um
2: and there are 20 cases that have been thrown out or ruled in favor of the democratic wow. party yeah and these are a wide range of of issues that are um that these these cases cover a wide range of issues some mm-hmm. are quite on democracy docket you can read some of the affidavits in the cases and um
1: It's fun. Yeah, It's fun. You want to add anything to that, Chris? No, I think that covers a lot of it. What you're finding is a pattern. They're filing these lawsuits, and to file the lawsuits, like, do in a short paper. But what's happening is when you have to get up there in front of it, and you have to argue in front of a judge as a lawyer, um, I think one of the things they've run into is a theme for these cases they've lost is it's one thing for an individual to say, I saw X, Y, or Z, and it'd be a fabrication. If that, you know, the the biggest one is there is a Pennsylvania postal employee or postal inspector who says he witnessed um, people throwing hundreds of votes in the trash or whatever. He signed an affidavit to it. Um, a couple of days ago, he recanted that affidavit and he committed perjury. Yeah. Um, so he is, he is now going to be a felon. Yeah. The, the thing, now here's the thing, that one incident is where a lot of this social media frenzy has been stirred up from. But here's the thing, you're a postal inspector, you committed this crime. Yes, you're probably gonna get probation, you're gonna be fined a lot of money. If you commit perjury and you are a practicing attorney, your career is over. Mm-hmm. You lose your license, to practice yeah. law because yeah. that's what's happening is once these uh, lawyers get into um the courtrooms they cannot their arguments are falling apart like i was i think it was the pennsylvania one um you know they'd argued that no there was no um there were you know the affidavit said there was no republicans anywhere in the counting locations in the um i forget what the weird euphemism was i can see marie smiling so i think she's run across it like uh no there was a non-zero, non-zero. number of republicans present yes.
2: yes a non-zero number
1: yes and it was like you know it's one of those things the lawyers they have to have we are an evidence-based legal system and just you know the act accus- putting out the accusation and affidavit Um, is only the start of the process, but you've got to be able to show real evidence and real harm, and that's where it's falling apart. Um, That's where you're basically, you know, one for 20, and you're betting 5%, um, and that's where a lot of these cases, I think over the next week, you're going to see it, I would not be surprised if it might be like 30 and two.
2: Yeah.
1: And it'll run its legal course. Yeah. So...
0: One thing I kept, uh, kept running into in just trying to break it down, uh, in some of these states, uh, that everyone is bringing up, um, and just seeing, seeing what was being said and seeing what the issues were. Um, and this, uh, I think will tie into, uh, our next question. Well, about, um, just like overall, um, how elections are handled, right? So, Uh, Let's see. So one, or the state laws varying, causing any of this confusion. That's what I'm thinking, right? And that's what I'm running across. What you guys, uh, could you say anything on that?
2: Well, each state is responsible for how it conducts its own elections. So, each state law is different. So, my students have asked about this all week this week. Why is, um, why did it take Florida um, no time at all? Like, we knew the results in Florida on election night. Why do we still not know all of the results in Pennsylvania, which was earlier this week? And my answer is that Florida, because of what happened in 2000, changed the way it counts votes. And so, they were counting their mail-in ballots as they came in so they could dump all of those votes on election night Pennsylvania you had two options of how to vote in Pennsylvania you could either vote same day in person or you could do a mail-in ballot they didn't have in-person early voting the way we have here and so when those mail and, and the um Pennsylvania state legislature, which is run, has a, a Republican majority, passed a law that said that those mail-in ballots could not be counted until election day. So you have millions of mail-in ballots and you cannot start counting those until election day itself. So obviously that's going to take some time. And so that's one of the reasons that, and Americans don't know that because why would most Americans need to know that election? I mean, it's different state to state. Um, it, it would certainly have helped in this instance, but most Americans don't know that. So it looks suspicious. It looks um, confusing, but it's just state to state.
1: Mm-hmm. And a good example. To, that's exactly right. The good example for a state that got, a, for some reason, nobody complained about was North Carolina.
2: Right. Right.
1: North North Carolina has a huge military population, so they're getting votes from across literally the globe. Right. But as basically I think they I don't even know if they have certified their election. Um everybody's assuming Donald Trump has won, but they're they're counting votes slower than uh, Nevada was. And yeah. um it's it is a state by state to really understand a presidential election. You got to get off the national stage. You got to really get nerdy and dig into all 50 states and figure out, you know, what goes on within them, whether it is who won, who lost, how they count votes, voting procedures, etc.,
2: Right. And North Carolina is a great example because they allow mail-in ballots it nine days after the election. So if, they, if those ballots come in nine days after the election, they will still count them. And you're absolutely right. Nobody complained about North Carolina because they said on election night, we're not going to count any more for a period of time. So you don't even need to look at us to see when these votes vote drops are going to come whereas Pennsylvania was saying it's going to be you know we're going to drop a hundred thousand here or or a couple thousand here and so it was really easy for the media to to keep up with that and make it exciting over time and I watched election week which is what it became (laughs) and it was you were down to like when are these next five thousand votes going to come out of Allegheny County in Pennsylvania and the media really played that up or Maricopa County in Arizona um Yeah. And so it's just, and people don't even look at North Carolina because the media is not talking about it. And it's the, I mean, to be, and we have to be honest here, it's the Republican Party saying that the Mellon votes are a problem. And if they think they're going to win North Carolina, they're not going to complain about North Carolina.
1: Yeah. To expand on Pennsylvania, I'm originally from Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania is weird because it is, I think it may be the last old school voting state. Um, in normal times there is no early voting there is almost no mail-in voting in pennsylvania um you know so almost everything is done election day and that is you know for a normal election and you know practice fine great um, but what happened with covid they had to they basically made up a lot of rules you know right. i forget what ridiculous number of mail-in votes it, i mean there was Um, millions of votes um, that were suddenly cast um, through the mail and they just you know uh, we joked about it they're the student when's your paper due 8 p.m tuesday i'm gonna start wednesday morning on you know the (laughs) second half of it yeah exactly but 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 like marie said that's what the the state legislature decide we're just gonna we're gonna just worry about election day and then starting at 9 a.m wednesday morning we're gonna start counting Um, and I think locally, one of the things, uh, Cora, um, Brian's wife showed, I think a lot of our Kansas don't recognize the sheer size of some of these voting areas. Um, those, the two counties, everybody was looking at in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia County and Chester County, those two counties cast as many votes as all of Arkansas. Um, and that, you know, all of a sudden, like, I think the one CORA threw up was Los Angeles County Yeah. Um, with like, you have 10 million registered voters in one County, which would be, you know, all of Arkansas, Oklahoma. Um, and let's skim off a little bit of Tennessee for good measure. Um, but it's like, it's going it, to, this takes time. You have to open envelopes. You have to do, um, you know, if Pennsylvania were wiser, they should have started counting those things a lot earlier. Mm-hmm. you know, count them as you get them but they decided to wait till after so that's when you find out like saturday morning that they're finally done they're going to call it right
0: so here here's one thing that i keep seeing and we actually had and it was reported uh and i followed up on it and they said in our community there was an issue with an electronic machine that was being voted on here in in pope county um and I was, I saw some people buzzing about it. I looked into it. They said, Hey, it was just an issue with this one machine. We removed it. That has been something, um, that is also being brought up is, uh, that there's voter fraud and elect in the electronic voting in the computer systems and everything. And again, it's, it, you know, it's one side saying that, uh, is, is that all been unsubstantiated? Cause I was chasing it down. And- yes. I got over it Stop. after yes. chasing it down. Right. So
2: there's nothing there. <laughs> there's nothing there.
0: Was that Pennsylvania of the, that was in debate on that one as well, or Michigan? I
1: can't, uh, a lot idea. of people have brought it up. If you want to fix, let's go, you got two things. First is voter impersonation fraud. That is the dumbest ass way to try and swing an election. Um, because i put it to you this way i mcmillan helped me out with this a little bit do you realize how many felonies you got to commit to make that actually work um i did at one point um one of the other professors at arkansas tech dr enchelmeyer ernie enchelmeyer down in english he is one of the um jps yeah um good guy when he won his race he won it by like 25 votes to get elected and I use that as a case to get in order to fix the election so he loses. I would need to commit like 52 or 53 different felonies. Because um, one, you got to, you start with, you got to break into the county courthouse and you got to steal the voter records. You need them all. I need to find people who are registered to vote, who never show up to vote and probably never will. Then I need to make, let's see, if I need 25 people, I need 25 fake IDs. So I need to forge 25 Arkansas driver's licenses. Um, that will cost you money too. What is the going rate for a fake ID? If you want an awkward question, ask your students that. <laughs> so, all right, now I've made 25 fake IDs for 25 people. I hand those people those IDs, they go to vote. They're impersonating somebody else. They're going to have to know the information on it. They're going to have to remember the information and not get caught. So, and every step and every one of those is a felony. You know, it's like a D class felony, it's lower, it's not violent, but it's like to fix a um, justice of the peace election, I need to commit 52 felonies for one of 15 seats in Pope County elections. Right. Right. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard that's like the worst oceans you know movie ever but now right. try you can't do that on a statewide basis it's just a conspiracy of a hundred thousand people it's just not gonna work um now the voting machines this is why voting machines it's even a local decision um elections are local the federal government somebody brought it up will you ever have federal run elections no the state puts out, the federal government puts out guidelines, like after 2000, they said electronic voting, please. Um, the state will put out guidelines, but at the end of the day, it's up to your local elections. Um, your county will figure it out. Um, and I will say Pope County it worked really well. They had a lot of people, it was safe, plexiglass galore. Um, but like you said, it's like everything about how many hundreds of thousands of voting machines there are out there. Um, one may malfunction someday, and this is why it's actually good to have early voting. If you know your voting machine breaks, the, you know, or malfunctions the Tuesday before, you can pull it out. You can get it fixed. You know, Control Alt Delete the voting machine, whatever you need to do. But you don't have that Pennsylvania approach where you're the whole state's going to punch five million people through their voting places in one day. That's the kind of push you're going to have where you're going to have those kind of elections just a way outsized um, influence if one machine breaks. Sorry, I went on a a ramble there.
0: Hey, let me, (laughs) so... Uh, do you have anything to add to that Marie because I have a a, like a question or see if you want you guys take on something from the 2016 election involved Uh I
2: think think that was great the only thing I would add is that there are also these claims about dead people voting
1: that's what I was going to say
2: the the claims have been I've seen so many news stories from people who are live and like I have the same person's name, but my vote counts because I'm still alive. <laughs> that that they've, you know, people have said that they're dead and voting. And so those have been um dismissed too. But again, you have to prove that enough people are voting to overturn the election. Like enough dead people are voting. And that's not um you may have a little bit of that every cycle, but that's not happening in any large numbers anywhere mm-hmm. where it matters.
0: Yeah. That, uh, so I remember a political ad, uh, in like 2015 with, uh, Mike Huckabee, right. And, uh, he is standing, it's, he's standing outside. It's kind of snowing, has his hands in his trench coat. And he's like, I'm Mike Huckabee from Arkansas. And I always knew that when I was running against the Clintons, that, uh, as long as I could beat the people in the cemetery, I had a shot at winning. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is like the craziest ad I've ever seen. But that was that was in the last election cycle.
1: <sighs> but, yeah, it's the
2: whole dead people voting.
1: Um, purging voting records, I think, is the term you will hear a lot. Um, you have to go. You have it is up to the counties to go through their voting records. It's like every other boring maintenance they have to figure out who's passed away, who's moved away, they will have rules for that. Like, you know, if Brian Wilson moves to Memphis, I don't, you know, if everything you need to do to move, notifying your voting board that you have moved is probably not on anybody's list. And they will realize, hey, after a couple of election cycles, hey, he's he used to vote and he is no longer voting. So at some point they just remove you, you know, it may be two or three presidential cycles. Um, that's come up. How often must they do it? What are the criteria they must do it? Um, is, it's, it's a very, it's a, that one's usually a statewide decision, more statewide guidelines, but it's up to the locals to, to do it. Um, just sort of sitting there going through voting registration records.
2: Yeah, and even if you're registered to vote in two states, it's still illegal to vote in two states you know, it's not your fault that you're registered in two states because you do have to be, you have to be culled from those voting records or registers, but you still can't vote in two states. That's still a felony.
1: Yeah.
0: Do you guys think that we saw more of that this election with, and at this point I saw brought up, and again, I would have to, to look into it, but but I did see it brought up a couple of times that people, a lot of people did move uh, from certain areas due to COVID. And And I don't know if that's true, like people leaving states like, California, New Jersey, and New York and moving. I, I don't know how much of that went on. I did, I personally know people that left all of those states, uh, but uh, I don't know if it was a mass exodus or what. Enough to enough for it to be something that's relevant to our
1: conversation today. I, uh, I don't know about you. I know one person who had to struggle and kind of figure that out. Um. With, with COVID and everybody getting scattered, his wife is in Indiana, um, oh, yeah. Dr. Pearson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, he is registered. His residential address is here in Arkansas. He um, When the lockdowns and all hell broke loose in March, he packed up his laptop, grabbed as much of his stuff as he could. He's basically functionally been back in Indiana um, until recently. So I mean, he spent seven or eight months of the year, but he came back down to Arkansas. He um, cast one vote and one vote only, like Marie said, in Arkansas. Um, But I wouldn't be surprised if there's more of those cases, especially I could see that being a challenge. um, Like you bring up New York, New Jersey, um, those places where states come together with huge populations. Oh, I was thinking the Maryland, Washington D.C., Virginia spot where you just have a lot of people. A lot, you know, I remember I worked in Maryland, I lived in Maryland, I worked in D.C., and Virginia is like five miles away, so you wind up easily crossing multiple state lines. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it was more of a challenge in twenty twenty. Um, with COVID and all the remote working and remote learning and stuff like that. Um, it would make sense that there may be an uptick, but I, I think they're always, a lot of it is, it always has existed. You know, mm-hmm. people will telecommute, you know, I think for years, my wife's work, she, yeah, we were standing here in Arkansas, but her, her job technically was out of Maryland. You know, she telecommuted for seven years, but she always, you know, she was an Arkansas resident. Um, we just maybe I think social media maybe makes us more aware that this stuff is going on, and it amplifies like the postal inspector example. We know that because social media went you know gugu gaga for it and blew it up everywhere. Where um, and I think that maybe there's sort of a megaphone effect, right? Something that happens two or three times that may have probably happened in the 1880s. All of a sudden, you're going to hear about from you know sea to shining sea, and on parlor message boards. Um, sorry, I got to throw the. I was hoping it would come up. Oh yes. <laughs>
0: All right. Yeah, uh, so I, I, go, go ahead, Marie.
2: I heard also just just glancing on Twitter that people are concerned about Nevada, so they really care about the states where the you know where the results come from where the election is decided and a lot of that and and a lot of that comes from military so if if you're stationed in a state and then you're you're moved from that state by the united states army your vote still counts in that state depending on how long you've been gone and so I, I, there's some of that but again uh there's always been there's always been that so as long as you're just voting once you're not yeah
0: yeah Okay. So I think this will kind of tie in. Um, this is from Matt Patterman, uh, Matt Pat. I've seen other countries vote in different ways. Some pe- uh, some places ink their fingers and have single drop in ballots. Some have stringent forms of ID necessary to vote and have, uh, some have very little, some use computers and technology to get it done in the experts YouTube opinion. Uh, which way has the most integrity? Also, which country do you think uh, does it best, has the most complete voting system? Uh, These are not really American election questions, but it would be interesting to hear your opinions on which way you would
1: consider best. Well, I teach a whole class called comparative government which where we look at different political systems, not just democracies, but we, you know, throwing your China's in there and stuff like that. I'm I'm always reluctant to say somebody is best. Something is different and politicians and people adjust to the system that they are presented. Mm -hmm. Um, Like one of the ones that people bring out is like Australia. Australia has about like 90% voter turnout. Part of that is because Australia fines you if you don't vote. You know, all of us, you want to balance a budget. Imagine you don't vote. Fine. You know, we're going to nail you for four or five hundred dollars. Now, there is kind of a side note to this problem, though. Um, They don't vote as often as Americans do. Basically, they're a parliamentary system. They vote once every four or five years. Um, it's not like, you know, I joke about it. If you live in Arkansas, you, I think my record, is I've voted five times in one calendar year. You know, vote in a primary, vote in a primary runoff, vote in a general. Um, there was a special election for school board. And this just this year, we had a special election for a one cent t- tax. They, you know, you could find people if you vote just, you know, once every four years. Um, now, I will say electronic voting is almost global standard. Um, they've been running electronic voting in places like Brazil, um, India, you know, for uh, Western Europe for decades. Um, and it's, it's the same thing you're going it's technology based. Um, if you have early voting and you have time to diagnose problems, um, you can resolve a lot of it. So you know there's no single we've got what we've got and part of it you know i think as you know you two historians would realize is we are different in some ways you know fit we're huge um geographically you know if you were trying to run a national election uh, on a country as large as the united states it gets really difficult fast you have to delegate responsibility you have to delegate authority to the 50 states mm-hmm. um that's why you know all 50 states use electronic voting of some form some have melt, you know, Arkansas has got a lot of backups. Other states may not have as many, but they do have some kind. But, um, you know, a lot of these countries who have better turnout and more universal laws and stuff like that are smaller countries. You know, think I'm thinking like England, um, you get, um, you know, it's a country give or take the size of Florida or the size of California. Um, they're going to have very, it's it's easy for them to say everybody uses the same rule set. Whereas, you know, the US having the same thing work for like a North Dakota election that does a Florida election um, would just be really difficult. Different volumes of, you know, voters and polling places and stuff like that. Um, You know, I will say one of the things that's interesting about this election is we may have finally broken our turn, our, our political turnout funk Um, as passionate as people have been about politics for the last, you know, since the millennia, since 2000, we were always stuck at like, you know, 59% turnout, 60% turnout. Um, I looked it up yesterday. We probably broke 67% turnout, you Mm -hmm. know, absolutely like crushing old records of how many people showed up to actually cast votes. And that was, you know, it's still counting, you know, that- those California counties are still figuring out how many people voted and totaling them up. But, um, yeah, you yeah. know, I think it's always about trying to improve the system, make it a little better, a little accurate, a little more, you know, a little faster. And like, you know, Marie brought up different states, are going to have different, um, things they got to figure out. North Carolina has to figure out military voting. And I, uh, Texas, California have to deal with that as well. Um, you know, Alaska, I'm trying to think, Alaska and Oregon use heavily, ma- they've all, done all their elections through the mail. Um, because, you know, Alaska, yeah, it's Alaska. Yeah. Um, so it'll be, it, if you really want an interesting question is what will the 2024 election look like mm-hmm. when we don't have COVID, when we've expanded the availability of voting, um, how much of that will stay? Will you get more early voting? Will you get more um, permissible absentee votes? That's what, you know, to a political scientist, that's what we're, you know, sort of nerding out about next is that, you know, they made it easier to vote because of the pandemic in 2020 in all, like basically every state. Um, and hey, all of a sudden turnout jumps by six, mm. seven, eight percent um you know we joke about got to find silver linings that's a pretty good silver lining you know the question will be will that stay for 2024 uh and beyond
0: do you think there's things uh i mean this is this is kind of thought provoking but do you think there's things that we can do for the future to increase voter turnout like not necessarily Find people four or $500. But it does seem like uh, that is something that's been co- that's come up is uh, I've heard people pushing for like, hey, you turn 18, you're automatically registered to vote, you don't have to go through anything. Uh, and you know, one of these questions, we already really addressed it, I feel like was talking about uniform election laws or federal run elections. What about like a uniform system of you are registered to vote because you're a citizen? There's no uh process or mail in or re- you're just automatically registered would that would that answer any questions what are you, you guys thoughts on that
1: marie
2: do you want to answer that from the political scientist
1: oh. well i was going to let you go first because i just rambled for a while
2: Okay. Um, Yeah, I think that same day voter registration, pouring money into making elections easier, um, having expanded mail-in ballots. I mean, obviously, if people, if if voting is more accessible, more people are going to vote. I mean, even during a pandemic, you have this this drastic increase in voter turnout. And that's in a large part due to the fact that you had more mail-in voting, that it was more accessible for people. And, And same day registration is important important. Um, just even just informing voters about when's the last day to register. Here's the different ways you can vote. Um, pouring money into those kind of campaigns would be important. Um, so there are lots of things that that we can continue to do and that activists have been doing for years and years to make uh, more people turn out. But I think that the, the mail-in voting thing is probably the, the biggest and making it more accessible. Mm-hmm. But the voting, the turnout excites me as a political historian too, because I'm going to be able to use all that data that you put into to, to different ways that I can actually use it for my research later. Um, so I'm excited about having all this data from this massive turnout too.
0: Nice. Yeah. All right. Do um, you want to add anything to that housing before we move on?
1: Uh, no, I think that covers it. You know, like uh, Rashad, a lot of the, the early voting, mail-in voting, I mean, that's what a lot, there's, this is not a new thing. They've been trying to get voter turnout up since the seventies, you know, when they lower the voting age from 21 to 18, you know, that should help turnout, but we've been stuck in this kind of 59 and 60% funk for years. Um, And all of a sudden with everything we did this year, it just seems we've broken out of that. Um, But it's again, it's like, what lessons will we continue to carry forward of that from now on will be interesting.
0: All right, next, this is from uh, Megan Ford. I think a, perhaps yeah, a friend of yours. <laughs> All right. Um, how can we, our Kansans, help or get involved in the Georgia Senate runoff race?
2: So I am. Um... This is very exciting. We're about to see the most expensive Senate race in U.S. history. Billion, At least a billion dollars are going to pour into Georgia for this Senate race because the control of the Senate hinges on this election in Georgia. Um, and so there are lots of different ways you can get involved. I don't know how you can get involved if you're a Republican and want to help the Republicans win this election. But if you are a Democrat and you want to help Uh, Warnock or Ossoff win this election, then you can go to fairfightaction.com and you can work with Stacey Abrams group. She is a force to be reckoned with in American politics and is on the ground, mobilizing people in Georgia, getting out the vote in Georgia. And I think that that's probably the most realistic way to help. They don't need volunteers to rush into or any more volunteers to rush into the state right now. Um, but you can, you can sign up to phone bank, you can sign up to, and I'm sure that that's the same, the same is true on the Republican side as well. I'm sure that they need phone bakers and they need uh, people writing postcards and they need people making um, texting as well. Um, but I know through Fair Fight Action, if, you're, if you want the Democrats to win, then you can go to that. And I'm, I'm sure that the information on the Republican side is easily available with a quick Google search, but I don't have that information um, on hand.
1: Yeah, it's I I'm very
2: excited
1: about it. <laughs> It's going to definitely be the most, ex- it, it will absolutely be the most expensive runoff election ever.
2: Oh, yeah. Um,
1: yeah. I got to, you're probably right, though, as crazy as this year has been, the, the most expensive election ever, there was a California Senate seat <laughs> where they spent a quarter of a billion dollars. This is, uh, it was Carly Fiorina years ago, but she lost um, but that was an entire normal election cycle. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah my I biggest thing.
2: Been, off.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's going to be not, you know, will they $200 million in two months. So it's gonna be
2: wild.
1: Oh good. Wow. Yes. Uh, all right.
0: Um, here's an interesting, um, Marie, you might have, uh, some perspective on this. I'm, I'm sure, uh, do people of color influence the election? And if so, to what degree? And who would you say was the average voter in the 2016 election versus the 2020 election?
2: Well, Americans of color certainly do um, impact election results. Um, One of the, there's lots of great examples from this election, but a couple of examples are arizona native americans in arizona almost nine to one voted in record numbers for the democratic ticket and so that helped put joe biden and uh, mark kelly over the top in arizona so those are americans of color who are changing election results Um, black women in georgia nine to one uh, the democratic ticket showed up in record numbers um, so that helped put, I mean, when those votes, then when those elections come down to less than 20,000 votes, turnout matters. And those groups are turning out right now. Um, same in Detroit and Michigan, um, same in Pennsylvania. Um, so when those races are tight, even if na- nationally, they don't make them ma- up a majority of the electorate in those states where it matters, if, if, uh, people of color are turning out, then they absolutely change the results of the election.
0: Uh, and you you hit that on the head because she asked another question later on about, and th- do you think this is what contributed to Georgia and Arizona flipping?
2: I think there was a lot of amazing organization on the ground, but yes, yes, it's yeah. those groups of voters. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. I think the only thing I would, this is um, everybody like Joe Biden beat Donald Trump, but Joe Biden actually more accurately, I think, beat Hillary Clinton. Because that in the aftermath of 2016, one of the biggest problems, Hillary Clinton did not attract as many Hispanic voters. It was basically Hispanic voting has gone up as a percentage of the Democratic Party, about 1% every four years, she maintained. But it dropped from the Obama runs to Hillary Clinton. She, African-Americans, now they didn't go vote for Trump. They stayed home. Right. Um, and when they stay home, you see what, you know, states like pennsylvania um that's the one they bring up in particular they stayed home and it cost hillary clinton that election and i think yeah. joe biden knew in this campaign you know he's got to get everybody in his party out to the vote uh, the polls um and that's why you see such a big swing in like michigan is the biggest one um pennsylvania's in the same ballpark uh a big as well but he was able to fix what hillary clinton failed at in 2016 which was mobilize important blocks of his party especially people of color
0: yeah okay uh here's another
1: one uh and i you know
0: housing and i actually did a, an entire episode on this uh basically talking about um changing v- american voting behavior uh, w- in the electoral college uh but uh another question from abby what would happen if we got rid of the electoral college? And I shared that podcast on this thread so she she can she can watch it. we We talked about that a little, but any
1: insight on that? The one I've got is <laughs> politics is a set of rules, and you strategize according to the rule set. Um, my class example, I always use, everybody's played monopoly, right? every time you go to play at somebody's house, people have different rule sets. Do you put 500 bucks in the middle of the board? You, do you definitely to, do. <laughs> do you have to go around the board once before you start buying property? Um, do you actually use the auction rule? You land on a space, you don't want to buy it, it goes to auction. When, Whenever you set up a rule set, people read the rules and play the game according to the rules. I don't know if you would get a better or worse or different result, but you would have a different kind of campaign. Right. You know, the big one is because every single vote matters everywhere. Um, in Arkansas, we didn't, as we got a lot of campaign commercials, but we didn't get as many as the swing states. You know, my, my parents and my in-laws are all from Pennsylvania and they have had Joe Biden and Donald Trump commercials on the air for six straight months, every commercial break um yeah but you know we only get them nationally if you're watching something if you went to a nationwide popular vote every vote for everywhere wouldn't matter so you would have to have things like the trump campaign would have had a campaign in in california you know they would have made sense to put in more money there and likewise the you know the biden campaign would have had to spend money in um alabama mississippi because if they can up the votes there they get more popular votes um but the campaigns would tailor strategies to this you know um as i said monopoly is the one everybody knows you see this in sports you know um different jujitsu rule sets this is legal that's legal this is you know people are going to read the rules. and They're going to play the game according to the rule set. So there's no such thing as fair or unfair because you change your mindset, you change your strategy. Um, but to get rid of the Electoral College also requires a constitutional amendment. And I think uh, Marie can say how rarely that has happened yes. after the Bill of Rights. Yes. yes.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right that um, we don't know what would happen because it's it completely it would be a completely different campaign the political landscape would look completely differently
0: um okay uh, another question here uh and marie and i have talked about this um uh in the past i th- you know it, at least in passing and it's a fascinating topic when did the south stop being blue dog democrats and is the democratic party dead in arkansas
2: so this is what I basically uh, in a large part write my dissertation on is the changing politics in the south. And so the, the switch in the democratic, you can go back further than this, but I start with 1948 with the election of 1948 when the Southern Democrats walk out of the Democratic National Convention and form the Dixie Crap Party. So um, Southern Democrats in... The South, they're the party of the Civil War. They're the it's the Southern Democrats that vote to secede across the South. At during Reconstruction, many of them are not allowed to vote. So you have Republicans in the South during Reconstruction, and then after Reconstruction ends, you have the uh, Democratic Party once again uh, coming to power through the Redeemers, those uh, white men who favored disfranchisement of black voters and favored Jim Crow, and and they were coming back into power after in the late 1800s and into the early 1900s and so the the South really is a democratic block from that period on so it's it's primary elections in the south that matter during those years it's not the general election because you know the Democrats going to win that changes in 1948 um, in the in the general election when you have President Truman comes out with the, a party, a platform or a plank in the party platform for civil rights. He's got these 10 civil rights proposals and that fall in 1948, they're added to the democratic platform. So the Southern Democrats are part of the Southern Democrats walkout. They form a third party, the Dixiecrats and some of the Southern states vote for the Dixiecratic ticket instead of the democratic ticket. Now they're going to go back to the democratic party for a while, but then in 1968, Southern Democrats completely turned to the Republican Party, because by 1968, the Republican Party has become the party of conservatism in the country. So you have um, 1964, you had Goldwater, um, ultra conservative. Now, he doesn't win. Johnson wins that election overwhelmingly, but he's won in that primary against a more liberal conservative in Nelson Rockefeller or a liberal Republican in Nelson Rockefeller. So the conservatives begin to take over the Republican Party at that point. And in 1968, southern, Southerners vote for Nixon. They vote for the Republican Party. And so it's at that point that Southerners begin to become um, Republican rather than conservative. Now, you're going to see back and forth, um, you know, from, from 1968 on on it's not going to be completely a uh, solid republican but that's when that starts is you, you see the first cracks in 1948 and then that switch made pretty much in 1968 and the other part of that question i think was is the democratic party dead in arkansas and arkansas i mean tom cotton was only elected 6 years ago in 2014 we had a democratic senator until 2014 so that's fairly recent now i do think in in I'm sure I'm not the best one to speak on this, but Arkansas went fairly red. I mean, pretty far to the right in this election. Um, And there are a lot of issues with the state Democratic Party, but I don't think that we should just say that Arkansas Democrats are completely boxed out in Arkansas elections. Um, Mm. the, The demographics are there for the Democratic Party to win elections in Arkansas.
1: Yeah, I th- everything we call uh, in political science we call it Southern realignment. But it's yeah. a lot of the electoral. When we talk about national trends, you've got this election that blows the old system out of the water, and you get a new one. It's really hard to get this across to students. But this it's this combination of Southern realignment, because like you say, it happens in different states at different rates. Yeah, you know, I think it was like Georgia and Alabama were early into that earlier in that process um, than Arkansas was. Um, but part of it too is when you want to go into the later parts, a, a big element was a combination of Roe versus Wade and then the rise of Reagan Republicanism. Because yeah. those two things have really, um, the Republican Party of today is still, at least at its core, um, the party of what Reagan built starting in the, throughout the 1980s you know, conservative, uh, Christian event, you know, um, the the more religious forward party if you want to go full circle from our beginning. But a lot of that happens, like you said, different states at different rates. Um, I don't encourage students to do this normally, but if you go to Wikipedia start scrolling through Arkansas's governors. They do these great graphs where they show you who's yeah. in charge and it's blue if it's Democrat and then it's red if it's Republican. And they do the same thing, governors, legislatures, House members, senators. And you start scrolling Arkansas, you're going to realize it's, it's like 80% blue. Yep. And you get these little splotches of red every once in a while. Um, but in political science, when we talk about Southern realignment, we don't really, Arkansas is like the last Southern state. Um, and we only attribute it at 2010. Um, that is where the, pri- uh, was a prior loses re-election. Um, or, wait, no, not quite. Um,
2: yeah, but that's, that's where, like,
1: yeah, but the, all the house seats flip, um, that is where, um, oh, the woman senator, uh, Blanche Lincoln, that's where she loses in her uh, re-election campaign. Just right across the board, this all these Democratic races in Arkansas of these became Republican um, and staunchly Republican. Now, part of it is, I think the Democrats are in trouble because part of what has happened, this is where you brought up, Stacey Abrams is like the Democratic darling. She has done what Democrats needed to do. and It's organized. She yeah. is a genius. She built, she handed georgia to biden yeah she got volunteers she got people knocking on doors in a pandemic what happened in arkansas is you had the um the clinton network when bill clinton was running for governor when he was uh in his presidential campaigns you know arkansas was still you know it was conservative democrat it was that you know the blue dog democrat if i'm got my terminology right but he had campaign networks in the state once bill is left politics those kind of founder they're you know they help a little bit for hillary to win um you know the arkansas um delegation to get the nomination but they don't get her you know she doesn't win arkansas um and what has happened now is basically the the clinton networks have gone they fallen apart um and libertarians and um democrats are trying to build these networks um now some places are easier to build than others like you're seeing a lot of like that second congressional district that pulaski county it's it's close together it's urban it's easier to build up um northwest arkansas like you say you've got some of those networks for the democrats is down in the delta down in southeast arkansas they've got a pretty good stronghold in the african-american communities down there But if you want to win in Arkansas, you're going to need the whole state. Um, And that's, that is part of the problem. You don't have those networks. Um, I think, you know, Democrats right now could make it closer than it really is. You know, I think Tom Cotton won, but he ran against a libertarian, not a Democrat. He won two thirds, you know, 60s, I think 66, you know, two thirds, one third. Um, But the, the Republicans in Arkansas have a great network built. Um you're gonna if you wanna, you know, if you wanna beat that network, you gotta build your own. Um and I think that's the problem you're running into for Democrats. And but it's it's not sexy work. It's not flamboyant work. It's grinding out finding people in every county who's gonna go knock on doors, who's gonna get, you know, yelled at and stuff thrown in him, him or her and it's just but it's it's what wins elections. You know, that's part of um, I will say, I've been reading a lot about Stacey Abrams, and she was grinding at this for like 18 months. Yeah. I'll, oh, yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, Brian can point to it. Americans tend to be um, impatient. I want it now, just like our election results. And but she put in 18 months of hard work, getting people registered, getting them the primaries getting them to the polls you need that same kind of organizational effort in Arkansas because there are populations who are unrepresented um you know in here in Russellville Dardanelle there's massive Hispanic populations um we don't see them running for city councils we don't see them mentioned at all um there is a lot of people out there who are just kind of sitting by the wayside But if you want to bring them into politics, whether it's local or state, you got to start getting out there, knocking on doors, you know, going to those, um, you know, parts of town that you may not be familiar with um, and really start putting in that kind of time and effort. And, you know, for whatever reason, to this point, the Democrats in Arkansas just haven't put in the time, the money, the effort, um, besides that second congressional district around Little Rock. Yeah. So... Do you want to add anything to that marie
2: oh uh, no i think that i think that covered okay. it
0: cool so we got uh two more questions a couple of minutes left um is the current administration stopping the transfer of power and if so how dangerous can that be
2: well first of all he doesn't have to concede there's nothing in the constitution that says concession is necessary for the transfer of power there are things that the current administration are doing to block the transfer of classified information and office space and money to the Biden uh, transition team, um, which can, uh, can be a detriment. In the 9-11 report, they cited the, a shorter transition period for the Bush, uh, Bush 43, to to come into office as one of the reasons, which one of of many, many, many reasons uh, for the 9-11 terror attacks. And so if you look at that information, then yeah, that could be a detriment in slowing down this process. But the Biden team has said explicitly that they are moving forward. Um, Joe Biden doesn't need a tour of the White House. He doesn't need, I mean, he's got that down. He's got really experienced people in positions of power that are ready to go on day one. Um, I think it's a detriment, but I think it absolutely could be worse and the concession is not necessary.
1: Yeah. I think the, the formal process will be forced open December 1st, because part of it is basically, I think only like half a dozen states have certified their elections. Hmm. What the official, there's a, there's an office whose name, I can't remember at this point. They're the ones who determine whether or not to engage in this transition. Um, And they base their decision off of the official certified elections. The minute you have 270 electoral college votes certified for Joe Biden, they open the doors. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's either right before Thanksgiving or at latest the Monday after Thanksgiving, where all this sort of him and hawn ends, um, where people start to be legally, you know, you start to get all the whatever cooperation is available um that's a whole nother animal to discuss on another podcast you know i think one of the things about the trump administration is there's a lot of acting people acting like right now there's an acting secretary of defense um that makes transitioning a little bit weird um to put it mildly he's president trump's been hard on his bureaucrats i think is a a good assessment um And there's just not a lot of people to, to transition from and to. So I think that's going to be one of the things going forward, but I think you still got about two more weeks. So as a glance at my calendar, um, he's not obstructing anything legally yet, but the minute you have 270 certified Biden electoral college votes, they're going to have to open up. They're going to have to work, or that's where you start getting into, um, the intentional destruction, um, you know, the intentional infliction of national security crises. And yeah, Marie got the big one. They study a lot of this for 2000. And that was just because the election mucked it up. You know, Mm -hmm. you're sitting around waiting for recounts and all that sort of stuff. Um, It it definitely creates a lot of problems. Yeah.
0: Um, Last question here. And I think we've hit on most of this. And I will say for people that are listening to this that posed questions in, in like the more local audience, some of the questions i felt like we addressed um already we didn't go uh, we didn't go back into them right uh but uh here's one we've at least hit on some of this what's the actual prevalence of election fraud in u.s elections in general and why the red to blue shift between election day and when mail slash absentee balance were counted and why is such a uh, and why such a partisan break with these ballots this cycle?
2: This is another question a lot of my students asked me this week. And I think it. Uh, there may be more here, but the, the president said on the campaign trail that mail-in ballot of bo- voting was fraud and not to use it. Um, and so his voters didn't, and they voted Um, in person the democratic party had a pretty good here's how you mail and vote you drop it off at the election you drop it off by this point they were flooding social media with this information and so i don't think it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that more democrats voted by mail um and the reason that it's going back to to our earlier discussion of pennsylvania The reason that it looks like it's such a skew is because same day votes were counted first in some places and melon voting was counted second in some places. Mm -hmm. And so it's an artificial, it's an artificial thing that the media created.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's that I, I even saw a meme alluding to that. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah these, this whole base did not, was encouraged to not do this.
2: Right. And so yeah. they didn't. They didn't do it. Now they showed up in record numbers. I mean, they, their turnout was huge, just like the Democratic Party's turnout was huge, but um, they turned, they went in person. They didn't vote by mail because the leader of their party said not to.
1: Yeah. he. I, I, you would say that um, this is going to be one of the things that political science talks about is that as good as Donald Trump's turnout was, he probably still depressed it even some more. Yeah. Um, and I would spe- you know, think like Georgia. He probably cost himself the race because he says, "Well, this is fraudulent. You know, this is fake." Um, so he, you know, all it takes is you know five thousand people to go, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna you know follow this presidential t- tweet and not show you know um, not gonna mail my ballot in," and it cost him a state. Yeah. And it would have been a closer race. And Republican
2: um, operatives were warning about this. Florida had a whole campaign telling its people to vote in, by mail because it has such an older population. And so my in-laws are in South Florida and they were told to vote by mail over and over and over again because you don't want to depress turnout. So he was warned that this mm-hmm. would depress turnout. Um, but and he, he won also,
1: Florida. He won right, Florida right. cleanly. You know, for, right. uh, Florida got it right and, you know, a reasonable amount of time, you know, Right. when florida man cannot make uh, be made fun of something's up so yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah they learned a big lesson from 2000
0: and if you want to know more about florida you re- listen to the recent history unraveled episode with dr Totten, eric Totten. yeah uh yeah he he went into uh his research saint augustine which i thought was awesome yeah. um all right well, you guys have anything further to add? Closing comments? I think uh, we had a lot of great questions. Uh, I, I was really happy. That was a great idea to to throw that out there. House and I was trying to pump it over the last couple of days, get, just to get, I mean, that's everyday people that we know that
1: have questions. And oh, yeah. um, I thought that was super informative. Well, I think they go just uh, best places to find info. I always look multiple places. Um, I will admit it on election night. I, uh, was, I had Fox news in my browser in the back. Um, because if Fox news tells Donald Trump, you lost, you lost, sorry. Um, you know, it's one of those things like, yeah, does the, does the media have bias? Yeah, sure. Uh, but you can use that bias to your advantage when, you know, your own party tells your candidate you lost. Um, Somebody also brought up polling. If you want to go deep dive and lose yourself for a couple of weeks, my favorite polling website's a guy by the name of uh, Nate Silver, 538.com. Yeah. This is that's all he does is polling. He is a stats nerd um, but he's one of the most accurate guys. He talks about the he goes into the science behind it, the figuring out what's going on and you know the polls were accurate enough this time around. Yeah, they're never perfect. Um, but polls also are the most inaccurate when you need them the most, you know, if you got a 50, 50 race, um, they're going to struggle to tell you who's going to win. You know, if you're getting blown out of the water, yeah, you don't really need a poll to say, yeah, you're going to get five votes and your mom's one of them. Um, when you get, you know, lose 4 million to five, but, um, he, he covers a lot of it. Uh, that to me in the last, I'd say three or four weeks was sort of standard, they do a nice little podcast they got their round tables and stuff like that they'll explain what they are you know you'll understand sampling and all that kind of good stuff they really get under the hood so you un, you understand it better in a way that most people can under uh, grasp
2: yes the 538 podcast is excellent
1: yeah. um
2: and the the latest podcast where he talks about the how the polls weren't that wrong and and he creates a forecast of all, he averages all of the polls. But one thing I found interesting about the polling is that Biden's internal polling was not that off. He knew where the race would come down to. He was in Pennsylvania a lot the last week or so of the election, and he knew it was going to be close. He knew it would come down to melon balance. ballots. So his internal polls were not as off as the, the public national polls. And And you're right, the national polls weren't yeah. Okay. Yes. There's an outlier here or there that says Wisconsin is up by binds up by 17 points, but that's an outlier. That's not an average of all of the polls. Um, the the news sources question I thought was really great, and just to to hit on that a little bit, I think people today are confused. You don't have to like the news. <laughs> I saw all these people, fans of Fox News who are leaving Fox News. You don't have to be a fan of your news. The news isn't there to entertain you, it's there to give you information. And so I think people think that when they disagree with the news, that somehow it's bias. Um, but that's not how news works. That's not how facts work. Mm-hmm. So you can be a fan of an opinion host, um, but that's opinion the editorial side of things are different than the news side of things mm-hmm. and so like the new york editorial board is different than the, or the new york times editorial board is different than the new york times news page and so I, I do think there's a lot of media illiteracy and i think that that's probably a whole other podcast that you should probably think about um but one of the, those two things really strike me is all the fans of fox news that i'm seeing lately who are leaving you don't have to be a fan of your news
1: well i think that that's true that's absolutely true, What you brought up for all news sources. Most of what you see, whether it's CNN, whether it's Fox, you're not actually watching a news broadcast. You, you are watching the opinion pages right. come to life. Right. Um, you know, go watch. I don't know if they still do. There used to be CNN headline news. Yeah. Um, every 30 minutes, it's almost the same thing. They just cycle through it. That was what real news looks like. Right. And you get only these little like this one hour here or 30 minutes there in your major. It's effectively, it's talk shows, it's opinions. Right. Um, When
2: there's a panel, that's a talk show. Yes. Those are are pundits who are giving you their opinion, which I find interesting and I love listening to them. But Mm -hmm. I understand, you know, that that's not blanket news. Like get your news from AP or Reuters or Axios, the news side of those um, sites.
1: But I think you were exactly right, though, Marie. Not enough people know that dif- they don't know and right. can't differentiate that it's clear in newspapers right. you know when you hit the opinion page but there should be almost like a tag somewhere on the screen um although right. it'd be up all the time somewhere this is the opinion page of you know cnn or whoever right. it might be
0: well it sounds like we might have ourselves some future politics unraveled episodes <laughs> uh again it's been a great idea uh for marie and anytime either of you uh hausnick had the idea to do the electoral podcast uh podcast uh electoral college podcast last time so you guys hit me up anytime you want to do it again
1: it's it's been awesome well if they ever figured out what the casino is going on around here i mean hey we made it nine almost 100 minutes without the bringing up the casinos in pope county come on or the one cent sales tax yeah yeah (laughs) well right on well thanks guys
0: um I'll tag you and share it over when I get this uploaded. I'm gonna try and get it uploaded and get it out kind of quickly just because I'm excited about it. So uh to you know, tomorrow or the next day is my plan. So sweet. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you later. Thank you. Thanks.
2: Bye. See ya.
0: See ya.